Welcome to the Her Inspired Journey podcast, a show all for women about living your best life and fulfilling your passions from the backcountry to the table. No matter where you are, what hurdles you faced, or where you want to go next, we're right here on this journey with you. It's time to take charge, pave your way, and create success. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We are jumping into a brand new season of the Her Inspired Journey podcast, and I am really excited to be here with you. These episodes are going to be all about preparing for the hunt, whether you are scouting, doing some spring season bear hunting, setting up trail cameras, trying to call turkeys. We're going to go into all of the things that will have you ready for that and get you prepared physically. Of course, we're always going to talk about the mindset, perspective, and goal pieces with this. So keep in mind, we're always going to be working towards getting you into that sweet spot. Today on our episode, we are talking with Katie Van Slyke. She is in Tennessee, and she's a friend of mine who I met through social media several years ago, and somebody who I just haven't got to spend a ton of time just getting to know. So in this episode, we talk about last season. Um, She had a very successful season, her first, I believe, ever elk. Um, She also got a nice black bear up in Canada. So we talk about those things, but we also talk about what it means to be a female in the outdoors. This is not a new topic for us here on the show, but the perspective, the insight, the advice, and the roots that come from this conversation, I think will be very uplifting for you, especially if you might be feeling like it's a struggle for you or you're intimidated about being in the space of hunting as a female in the outdoors. Jump into this episode. I think you're really going to like it. Like zoned in on the decoy, Easterns are the smartest, most frustrating turkeys. And that's what like I've heard the consensus from everyone. They're just like, the devil Mm. (laughs) but um we're gonna i've never shot an eastern with my bow so hopefully we do that this year i'm hoping i don't i don't embarrass myself (laughs) it's super cool though how just the different you know species of animals and species of birds can just change so much you know some of them are just you know their tactics are different their behaviors are different and it's kind of neat just to be able to play those different fields and like have to work you know potentially the same game different ways for sure so All right, let's kick this off. We are jumping into another episode today on the show. I've got Katie Van Slyke out of Tennessee, who has got the most amazing voice. I have to bring that up right away because actually I came across your page, I don't know, several years ago and you had a singing video on there and I was like so captivated. I was like, boys, come here. You have to listen to this. So uh, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here. Well, thank you. I'm excited. We tried to do this at ATA and it just wasn't going to work out with technology. So I'm glad we finally circled back to do it. Exactly. Yes, for sure. And anybody that knows me knows that me and tech don't go hand in hand. So <laughs> we uh, will just we'll just stay after it and try again. Anyway, I'm uh, I'm definitely excited to talk to you and just get to know you more. That's definitely uh, something on my radar today is just figure out a little bit more who Katie is and what you're about, what you're doing and just hear more about what you've got going on for the year. Well, same to you. I, I really enjoyed talking to you at ATA, and we kind of swapped some hunting stories, and we just seem like we're soul sisters. <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel like we're very similar, so I'm really excited to just talk with you. I love it. So give us a little rundown on just who you are, where you grew up, and kind of like what your background and just life in general and what your passions are. 
Yeah, so I I have always lived in Nolensville, Tennessee. Um, very small town. It's growing now, but when I was growing up, it was very small, very tight-knit. You know, all the farmers know you. You wave to everyone as you pass them on the road. We would go eat at the same gas station every morning, and I'd sit with all the old men of Nolensville. You know, it was just a very fun place to grow up. And so that is where my family's farm still is. That's where I hunt. That's where I bought my first house. So, um, yeah, I just grew up in this small town, and the passions of horses and hunting came hand in hand in that environment because my parents both were into horses, and then my dad, he got me and my mom into hunting. And me, you know, it was a very young age when he started taking me out. And so um, horses and hunting have gone hand in hand literally my entire life. That's awesome. Super cool. So was it kind of like where your dad had his own hunting group and then he started getting you and your mom to come or how did that dynamic end up flowing together that you and your mom were integrated into his hunting experience? He always had buddies out hunting with him and stuff. And I can remember, you know, him having, um, his guys over and they'd have a big doe hunt or they'd have, we always had a big dove hunting shindig every year. Um, it was kind of like a, you know, big thing in our little town at that point we always had like the biggest hunt now everybody around here has their own dove fields and everything but back then we were the only ones that were really doing dedicated dove fields and we'd have a really big party and um we had 300 acres right outside of the town uh lines and so that was one of the biggest parcels and um you know we just at that point we were getting the bigger deer in the area and stuff and you know he just took me out asap as soon as I could, it wasn't even like a question to him, like, Oh, should I take my little girl out or not? No, he took me out, you know, as soon as I wanted to go. And I always wanted to go with him. And then it was just kind of a family thing at that point, um, to where my mom joined in and, you know, she's gotten the biggest buck out of all of us, honestly. So, um, you know, it was just kind of a, a thing where he never wanted to keep it to himself. He always wanted to share it with his family. And I think that's honestly the best thing you can do with your family is to have a passion together, you know? For sure. Without a doubt. It's uh, it like just brings you together in a way that's not like where you're at home, just enjoying dinner or family or chores or working in the yeah. yard or whatever. Like you get to go and do something that you're, you're all excited about going to do. Yeah. Um, and I just think, you know, I, I resonate on my own upbringing as I hear you tell that story because I was a lot of the same way. You know, it was like it was something my dad always did growing up. My mom never hunted. She was around a family of hunters, but she was like, you know, the girl kind of tending to the rest of the family with her mom, uh-huh. you know. And so it's it's something where she didn't. In fact, her her very first kill is the funniest story ever. And I have to have her on at some point because she didn't even she didn't know what she was doing. She like chucked a rock at something and killed this bird and my dad was like oh yeah like this is gonna work out just fine you know um but then slowly over time she kind of was was brought into the hunting family as well and it's nice to be able to go and do that and share it together and everybody's passion kind of you know is more or less the same but everybody has a different take on it so it's it's just neat to be able to you know talk to somebody else that had that bond growing up because a lot of the women you know, that I talk to or that I meet over time are getting into hunting or maybe they had, they dabbled in it here or there. They had a dad that hunted or something or mom that hunted, but they were never really in it themselves. So it's neat to just be able to talk to somebody else who was, who was raised with that in, Mm -hmm. in your blood, you know? So 
Talk to me a little bit about like your first big game experience and how it felt to pull the trigger and harvest your first animal. What were those emotions like? So I remember it like I can I can actually see it in my brain. I was 10 and it was juvenile weekend. Now, I hunted with my dad for years, but he really wanted to make sure that I was mature enough, old enough, had been shooting long enough to be you know, very confident in my shot and not rush me into taking my first kill. And I really honestly appreciate that so much because I didn't have any bad experiences at first that, you know, scared me away from it. Or, you know, I I wasn't um, shaking and then made a bad shot and lost my first, you know, he really made sure that I was prepared. And so I can remember sitting in, I always called it my lucky box blind after this hunt because it was just, it was amazing that this whole weekend, um, the first evening we went out and we sat there, we watched stuff. There was like, you know, a couple little squirrels that were playing the whole time. They were keeping me entertained. Hmm. And then all of a sudden three does walk out at probably 30 yards. I mean, just perfect first kill situation. Right. And so this big doe walks out and I was shooting a Marlin 357 lever action that my grandfather used to hunt with. And my mom learned to shoot with it. And so it was kind of special in that sense that I was using this heirloom firearm. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, um, this doe gave me a perfect shot at 30 yards and I just whacked her and it, she dropped on the spot and it was such a rush of emotions of making my dad proud, making myself proud. The fact that he made me, um, you know, partake in gutting her and skinning her and we cooked it that night and it was just such an experience. And then the next day we hunted the morning and evening and I shot another doe and another eight pointer. So it was, it was a crazy weekend to be my first weekend. That's definitely a memorable weekend for sure. And it's so fun to listen to people from, you know, the east side of the nation talk about hunting because here, you know, you get basically one opportunity at a deer, maybe one opportunity at an elk. So, you know, our hunting is, is you know, to some degree, I think a lot of people think that you hunt harder in the western states and in in a very general description i would say yeah we probably hunt harder you know you have to work for that opportunity a little bit more but you know also at the same time for your very first you know real hunt to go out there and to be able to take three animals in a weekend like you get so much exposure to being able to you know pull the trigger and calm your nerves and do all of the field care and you know skin them out and hang them up and all that kind of stuff so you get so much real valuable experience through that and so many memories that you get to instill in yourself and, you know, with your dad. It's just, it's incredible. It's super fun. Um, and I knew nothing about, you know, whitetail hunting or ground blinds or tree stands growing up. So the more I get into, you know, understanding other ways of hunting, it just kind of opens my eyes to this. In fact, when we were... Um, at ATA. So we flew into uh, Galesburg, Michigan, and then we drove down to Indy. And I was dying laughing, Katie, as we're driving down the main highway. There's like ground blinds and, you know, all over like these fields, like literally maybe 80 yards off of these main highways. And I'm like, are you kidding me? He's like, well, they put them where the deer are, you know. 
Well, you know, in Tennessee, you can kill three does a day the entire season and two bucks per year. It used to be four bucks per year. Uh, it went from four to three to two. I'm really wishing they would crack down even more on the bucks. But, you know, we can kill a lot of deers a year because our population is so great here, especially our doe population. And so, yeah, I mean, we have multiple stands all over the place. If you go down a, um, a road and you see a big field, there's probably going to be a box blind in it. Um, during the rut, there's deer that just litter the roads because, you know, they're chasing and they're just getting hit by cars because there's so many of them. And so, um, you know, we try to take a good amount of does a year. And so that, I mean, yeah, when, when you say it helps you hone your breathing and your reaction to shooting, you know, it's not that, oh, you get one time a year. It's you're doing it a lot. So you get used to it and you get to, um, practice a lot, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, you, Mm -hmm. you get used to it. You get more lethal, I guess you, (laughs) you know, I hate to be like, well, you get more deadly, but it is because you're doing it so much more often that it's not as big of a deal to, look at a deer through your scope or through your, you know, sight or whatever, if you're shooting with a bow. Um, I I've noticed, I think from years of rifle hunting, when I started bow hunting, it wasn't sure. I did get a little more nervous, but I wasn't as nervous as I think I would have been had I not shot so many deer in the previous years. I mean, I would go, I would do 10 a year at first because my dad was like, just letting me, (laughs) letting me shoot a doe every time I went hunting. Um, so yeah, there's there's something to be said about that too. But I for sure think Western hunting is a whole different ball game. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it definitely is, and it's cool to just see those differences, you know, and and to be able to have the ability to hunt different methods, um, mm-hmm. you know, have different setups, and be able to have that exposure. Because if I could, you know, have you know, I love hunting Western states and doing spot and stock and getting into thick, deep timber. But at the same time, if I had grown up having a lot more exposure, I think, you know, it would just it would make those opportunities when they arise a little bit more uh, of a calm experience. I'm not somebody that gets I'm not somebody that gets super overworked now, but in my younger years, I definitely did because, um, you know, you, you just didn't have that opportunity come up often. So almost every time you got behind the trigger on an animal, it was going to be a shot opportunity, you know, which was going to be maybe once, maybe twice a year. So I think it can probably definitely help you just just rein in your control over, you know, your firearm and the, you know, actually pulling the trigger on something. So it's super cool to to hear you talk about that. The other first I want to hear you talk about was this year you actually, so it was last year now, but you went on an elk hunt, your first elk hunt. Walk us through that whole thing. Oh my gosh. My heart just started pounding by you like saying that because that was my favorite hunt. Okay. It was the shortest hunt ever, but it was the wildest. It was crazy. So I, I'm going to go on five years of elk hunting and never see another elk because of how much luck went into this first elk hunt. Um, I went to Alberta with big stone outfitting and I was just honestly praying to see an elk. I had never, you know, seen one in person, never heard a bugle with my own ears. I just wanted that experience. And so I went there with a black bear tag and my elk tag. And, um, we started off bear hunting, um, in the evenings and, um, we saw a couple bears that first evening and then we were like, no, let's not do it on the first day. Let's elk hunt in the morning and then we'll just see what happens. So 
you know, I hung out with everyone. We get up the next morning. Um, my guide was my age, so we just had a blast, you know, talking and um, giving our own stories to each other and everything. We go with that next morning, and we'd already become friends. So we're walking down this road. We went for public land that morning, and we parked, and we said, okay, we're going to walk down this road. It's about a mile walk. We're going to cut into the woods, and we're going to slowly make our way um, through the woods, just calling, seeing if we could pick up where they are, see if we could hear a couple bugles. Um, so we walked about a half a mile, and I had my bow. Um, I was prepared to shoot it with my bow, and I was really hoping for a shot opportunity, but I was also okay with shooting it with a rifle. I He had the rifle on his shoulder, and it was kind of like for my first elk I didn't really care what it was with, <laughs> you know? And so we walked about half a mile down and he, cause his hand out, he said, stop. And it was, it was almost too dark to see anything. And I kind of like squinted and I could see in the distance that something was crossing the road, but I couldn't tell if it was moose or elk. Cause there was a big population of both in that area. And so he gets his binoculars up. He said, Oh, it's, it's a bunch of cow elk. So there's about eight sitting in the road. So we just stood there still and um, the wind kind of carried our scent to them a little bit, but they didn't really spook. They just kept walking. And so they walked across into the woods, and then behind them, we just see a bigger figure. We couldn't see how big the horns were. We couldn't see anything. All we could see was that it was a bull. And so, you know, I like, like you said, now that I'm a little older, I stay pretty calm, but I, my heart was starting to get a little crazy at that point and I was trying to keep my wits and try to keep my um, breathing steady and we started walking a little bit closer and then as he got into the woods we cut into the woods and he started doing a couple of little chirps and um, it was still dark and I heard my first eagle ever and it was probably about 50 yards away and it was I could feel the hair stand up on the back of my neck like it was yesterday it it was the most amazing thing for it to be so quiet and such a still black morning and to hear that bugle. Oh my gosh. I just, mm-hmm. it was incredible. Um, and so then we knew he was there, you know, I, I haven't heard bugles enough to tell like, Oh, that sounds like a mature bull or whatever. But he said, it sounds like a mature bull, but we'll have to get eyes on him. Um, so we just kind of walked steadily through the woods for a bit. It was getting light. And once it was um, daylight, we saw that he was about, I'd say, 100 yards into the woods. It was pretty open to where you could see. And he had come off of his cows. And I don't understand how we got him to come off of eight cows with a couple of our cow calls, but we did. And so we keep walking. He keeps walking. We're staying with him about 100 yards away. And I think if I had been a more seasoned elk hunter or more season, you know, if I had been a little more comfortable, I would have gone in front of Mason, um, who was calling for me to split the difference and get a shot with my bow. But at that point I was really, you know, saying like, I, I kind of needed that moral support right then. So I stayed with him and we just kind of kept up with him, kept up with him. He was calling back to us constantly. And, Finally, we got to where we were about 70 yards from him and he was raking on a tree and we were trying to like gather how many points he had because um, we weren't going to shoot him if he wasn't a five by five or bigger. And so we were trying to make sure if he was 
you know, the size we needed or not. And so I had a perfect shot on him at about 75 yards through the trees, but we couldn't see his um, headgear. So we were like, okay, we got to wait. So finally he moves on. We keep with him. We finally see that he's big enough. Now, I know this is not when you want me to jump in and tell you about what's going on, but I'm going to do it because you need what I have to say. Backcountry Fuel Box is an amazing resource for anybody who's gearing up for season, scouting, going on a backcountry hunt, uh, or just a backpacking trip. These are an amazing subscription box that will give you meals to your front door. They've got bars, they've got jerkies, they have snack packs, they have gels, they have full-on meals. And this is a great way to try new things. It's also incredibly inexpensive and so handy. So jump over to backcountryfuelbox.com and see what they have going on. Their super affordable boxes will show up on point, on delivery every month and always have you ready to go on your next adventure. Use the code HERINSPIRED to save 10% at checkout. Trust me, you don't want to miss this. And I'm trying to get a shot, trying to get a shot. Couldn't get one. So I we like I, we were literally just like playing cat and mouse for what seemed like forever, but in all honesty, it was like 20 minutes. <laughs> and then we finally get to where I had a shot and I took it at about 75 yards and he death kicked, he ran, we couldn't see him anymore. So we, I just chucked my bow on the ground because we had already kind of said that we weren't going to use a bow. And I already made my shot with rifle, chucked my bow on the ground, ran, tried to get another shot on him. And then finally we had, we got stopped and we could hear him. He was raking his, you know, his racks through the trees and we heard him making a rub and we're like, he's been shot. Why is he making a rub? And then after we had already um, gotten to him, we noticed that the first shot must have deflected because it was my second and third shots that were the actual bullet holes. So my second and third shots were off the shoulder. I didn't have a shooting stick or anything. And, um, my first shot was at 125 yards when I finally got up to him where he was at the tree rubbing. And then he kind of just like stopped really hard when I shot him that second time and then moseyed on forward. And we kind of got up to him at 40 yards. We kind of let him like sit for a second. We got up to him at 40 yards and I put another bullet in him. And like, I feel like I'm all over the place talking about this because it was such a, just like I'm, I'm jittery talking about it because it was, the coolest thing ever, but it was literally my first elk hunt was over in 30 minutes. It was seven 30 when we got up to him that he was like dead on the ground. That's insane. Like in the morning. It was crazy. And it was probably the worst area we put, we were up, um, we were down in these woods and it was so thick, like of like, they called it the bush. You know, we say woods or whatever. Up in Canada, they call it the bush. And so it was so thick and gnarly. And so we, you know, finally got him packed out and everything. But that was the most luck I've ever had on a trip, on a hunt, ever. It was awesome. And, uh, yeah, I guarantee I'll go on, like, five years of elk hunting and never get that luck again or, like, even see an elk because of how much luck I had. It's kind of bittersweet, though, when it happens that quickly. Granted, it doesn't happen that quickly for me very often, but I've had a few where within first light, you're done, you know. Um, And it's it's wonderful, and at the same time, you're like, wait, but I also kind of miss some of the other experiences 
But yeah. it sounds like you had an incredible time. What do you think of elk meat? Had you had it before then? Yeah, so we ate it in camp that night. Um, we we ate one of his loins, and it was delicious. I my dad's killed elk before, so we've had elk. I had elk growing up a lot, um, but I hadn't had in a long time, and it had never been my elk, you know. So it was a little more special. And then we actually just had it uh, two nights ago for dinner at home, so we're still eating on it. That's awesome. That's totally, it is. It's so much more rewarding. You can savor every bite just a little bit more when it's something that you've harvested yourself. So are you planning to go again this year? Do you have something in in mind for a follow-up on that? So this year, um, I, I, I like to set goals and I had set a goal for an elk for a long time. And so I got that elk. I'm nowhere near done with elk hunting, but with it not being something that I can do locally very easily and so I have to travel pretty far to do it um I like to try to do at least one new species a year one new state a year you know something like something new every year and so this year I have an antelope hunt planned um and that's going to be in western Nebraska and then possibly a mule deer hunt so um you know budget wise and you know that kind of thing I kind of have to I can't do everything at once. So this year, I've got a couple whitetail hunts planned and that kind of thing. But this year, since I got my elk last year, um, we're going for an antelope and maybe mule deer. So what's your primary focus with um, like a new species a year? I love that. I think goal setting for anything in life, you know, really helps you meet and exceed your expectations for yourself. But what is your goal or what are you hoping to be your outcome uh, with hunting a new species every year? I just, I want the new experiences and I love learning from new people and I love learning how different each animal is and how even in different areas, the same species is different. Just like we were talking earlier about turkeys, how, um, Easterns are so different from Rio's and Rio's are so different from Merriam's. And I, you know, I'm sure mule deer are so much different than whitetails and stag is different from elk. And I just, I want to experience it all. I just, and now that me and Jonathan are about to get married and we're doing this life together, I just want to have all these experiences with him and, you know, not to limit myself to, um, one obsession, but just be obsessed with it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I love that. And I, it's, it's funny cause I've, I've never hunted with a guide before we've always hunted and it's easier here, I think, uh, to hunt public land, uh, than it is in some of the other States here in Oregon. But, um, so I've never hunted with a guide, but I always say like, I, I'm not against it, but I think my expectation would always be to hunt with a guide who was there more than anything to like mentor me, to teach me a new species. You know, I went on that hunt in Alaska this year because I was like, I don't know diddly squat about doll sheep. Like I know absolutely, I know that they're white. Like that's it, you know? So like, (laughs) tell me where I can learn more and show me how I can watch them in their own environment and get to know a little bit more about that species because I think that there's so much power in having knowledge and then applying it and being able to understand more about things that we don't know in every aspect of life, but it's even more intriguing and more rewarding, you know, on the hunt. So it's cool. I like to hear that other people are, are kind of setting those goals and and trying to learn new things about games that they don't know. Um, And, and, you know, I've, I've hunted with a few outfitters and I, like you said, 
I, I kind of go with the ones who I talk with a lot beforehand and I say, you know, I don't want to just go and you call me in a elk or a deer and I just shoot it and I'm not, you know, a lot of times I go with outfitters and I don't shoot anything, but I always say like, I really want you to teach me. I want to learn because at some point I do want to be able to go do a DIY hunt and I want to be able to do that. But being in, um, you know, the Eastern part of the country, being in, um, Tennessee, I've never spot and stalked anything other than, you know, turkeys. I've never done that. And so not having that experience, just press my preference is I'm much more comfortable going and learning from someone with that experience and that knowledge and then, you know, learning off of that and being comfortable later on rather than just kind of going at it with no knowledge. That's just my preference. And so, you know, I understand some people have problems with outfitters, but I don't because I've learned so much from them. Definitely. You know, and I think, you know, there is a lot, there's debates in anything and there's, you know, both sides of the coin, but you know, there's a place for all of it. And I just, I have so much more respect though, when people are, are willing to say like, I don't know diddly squat about this. So I need to learn, you know, rather than just, you know, making it look like, you know, they're on some wild hunt on their own or doing something like that. So I have a ton of respect when people can just say, even when we were in Tennessee to, or not Tennessee, uh, in Indy together, and we were talking about turkey hunting and we're both like, I don't know anything about turkey hunting. Like my knowledge is, is, is really limited, you know? So it's like, I want to learn to be a better caller. I want to learn to do all these things. For and sure. when people can just be forthright with that and just say like, I really don't know, but I'm so hungry to learn and, you know, to share that process. And, you know, I think that's a lot of what I see uh, women doing wrong, not not you, but women doing wrong, is that I think we get attacked and we get a bad name from things because a lot of times we feel like we're here to defend um, our capabilities in the outdoors or our ability to be a hunter. And I think part of the problem is, is that not very many women are willing to say, like, I don't know what I'm doing yet, but I'm here to learn just like everybody else had to learn along the way, you know? I do think a lot of girls do get scared that if they say they don't know, they're about to get in the hate comments like, oh, well, you're just a fake hunter. Well, oh, you're, I, I knew you didn't know anything. And, you know, there's a little bit of um, self-preservation in that, I feel like, because the whole internet troll era has been so strong lately. And so, you know, at some in some instances, you know, I don't necessarily blame girls for not putting it out there that they don't know. But that is one thing I have tried to do because I've grown such a thick skin with these haters and you know whatever that I know it is better to say hey this is my first year turkey hunting I showed horses my whole life and that was always during turkey season like the biggest season was during turkey season and I never had the opportunity to do that so I have a farm have tons of turkeys and I've invited people to come hunting with me but I did that so that I can learn from them mm-hmm. because you can learn from so many different people you don't have to just do one way. Everyone has a little tidbit of knowledge they can pass along to you. And so that's what I've enjoyed the past three years of turkey hunting is having people to my farm, going to other states and hunting with other people, learning from them from scratch because that wasn't something I ever did. Mm-hmm. And it's been, you know, ever since I did kind of just start out admitting saying, I don't know anything about turkey hunting and started that journey on social media being blatantly out there that I didn't 
know what I was doing. It's honestly been so much more enjoyable because it takes the pressure off and it opens up doors to learn from so many people. Yeah, it really does. And it's crazy if you think about it because, and maybe I'm wrong because I'm not a dude, but I don't see many men defending or needing to defend because people are attacking them like how well how long have you been doing that like how many animals have you taken what are your success like for sure men just don't get that and I think it's hard because I would consider myself in my blood a hunter I grew up hunting from the time I was four or five walk alongside my dad get my hands as bloody as I could you know started harvesting my own animals when I was 11 But all I ever hunted my entire life until I was, um, goodness, 31 or so was mule deer. That's all I had ever hunted, you know? So now going into hunting, you know, elk in the last several years and turkey Mm -hmm. and bear, it's like, you know, in a lot of ways, I feel like a new hunter, but people will look at you and go, well, how many of these have you killed? And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, why are we now needing to define how many of what somebody has harvested, you know, it's oh, like, you, you just don't see men doing that to men. You see a lot of times women doing that to women or men doing that to women. And it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's really unfortunate. And I don't know a lot of your background, but I know that from what I've seen in the, some of the things that you've shared, like you are under fire quite a bit about that. And some of that comes with the territory with having, you know, a big following on social media, but what are some of the ways that you feel like you've, been resilient in like holding on to your self-confidence and not allowing a lot of those negativities to influence how you feel about what you're doing. You know, I'm not going to lie. It really hurt at first and it still hurts some days. There are some days, like for instance, I'll just give you one example. When I um, announced that I was partnering with Burris Optics, Burris Optics is a company that I've used personally way ahead before I started working with them. You know, it was, it was, it was not like a thing where they said, oh, you have a lot of followers, here's some free stuff. And then I started promoting it blindly. I used their products. I had killed deer. I had killed hogs. I had killed, you know, multiple animals with their products before ever even talking to them. And then I announced that I was partnering with them for 2020. And I can honestly tell you, there was so much blind hate on that post and on Burris, Burris's post um, that was full of just false information, full of assumptions, full of questions, like you said, being like, she can't even cite her own gun. Oh, I'd like to see a video of her um, actually using the product. And they would never ask that about a man. They would never ask, oh, well, how many times has she actually shot that gun? Or, oh, she just had her boyfriend shoot that deer for her, and then she posed with it. That would never happen to a guy. And so that day, it was about 24 hours, and then it kind of fizzled out. I was physically in pain. Like my back was so tensed up that I hurt that whole day from just seeing how blindly hateful people could be. And so I'm not going to lie that it still gets to me because I, I don't think there's a person out there that could, you know, see such horrible things being written about them and not be that affected. Um, because at some points I just say, what did I ever do to make you hate me so much? But I will say, over the last two and a half, three years of doing this whole Instagram thing, being um, in the public eye, you know, from hunters and whatnot, I have gained a thicker skin 
And most of the time, swipe it off because there is so much more love than there is hate. Mm-hmm. The hate is honestly more vocal. You know, people will go on there and say something that they dislike about you a lot easier than they'll say what they like about you. I have to kind of step back and look and say, look, I have girls in my DM saying that they went and bought a bow because of me. I have girls sending me their first deers or their first deer, their first kill of any kind. I have dads thanking me because their little girl wants to go hunting with them now because they see a girl going out and hunting and not having to compromise her femininity. There's so much good that comes out of it that I honestly have to just focus on that so hard and that gets me through it because I can't, I won't even repeat some things that people said about me without ever talking to me. And it's, it's honestly horrible. Um, but at the same time, the good outweighs the bad so much. Yeah, it really does. And you kind of answered some of my follow-up questions in that, like, you know, how do you, how do you continue to do what you do and not let it affect you in a negative way? And I think, you know, you, you, you being honest with that answer and saying it does sting, like it does still hurt. Um, and it's, it's crazy because every, you know, people can deal with that in different ways. Some people have an easier time filtering those things off or just like letting it run over, you know, but I can only imagine that at some point it does take a toll. Like you said, you know, the other day you were like physically in pain because of the things that you were having to filter. Um, And I appreciate what you do because I do see, and though I don't know you super well, Katie, I see a lot of authentic self coming out, Um, you know, and it's, it's nice because um, somebody said the other day, and I can't remember who I was talking to, unfortunately, but they said, how do you go hunting with mascara on? And she's like, well, what do you, what do you mean? Like, how do I go hunting with mascara on? Like, I think that there's a lot of expectation that, well, if women are going to hunt, they need to do it just like a man would do it. And the thing that I think people need to understand is people can do things in this day and age, however in the hell they want to do them. And it doesn't make you more or less legitimate, and I freaking hate that word, than somebody else if you want to put on mascara to go hunt. You know, like, all I think that's important is that what you're putting out there is who you are. Like, all that anybody needs to see is who you actually are. If you're going to hunt with dreadlocks, hunt with dreadlocks. If you're going to hunt with pink camo, hunt with pink camo. Um, If you're going to go out and hunt in a, a kilt, do it. Like, just do whatever makes you happy. But I think we also have to have some level of filter to just go, though I'm going to share this, I also know that I'm, to some degree, inviting unwanted opinions because people are notorious these days for, you know, basically post and ghost. They're going to write something and then you're not going to see them anymore. I had somebody... Uh, this year. And it's funny because most of these accounts will come from people who are blocked with no followers and no picture. Right. Um, And somebody got on my page and they said, Oh God, I thought this was actually a picture of something you killed. Um, Why don't you just leave the hunting to your boyfriend? And it's, and I don't have one of those personalities like where I really don't care too much about other people's opinions But every once in a while, you'll get something that just, like, makes you want to stand face-to-face with somebody and go, tell me what else you know about me. You know, like, what what else do you think you know? I was like, you know, actually, my freezer won't shut right now. And most of my tags have been notched. So, 
you know, go back to feeling depressed about your own life. But, but it's hard, I think, too, to retain some where you don't callous yourself too much to people's opinion, because I think, you know, in, in a certain light, having the feedback of other people is important. That's how we live as a society. And that's how we can stand together. Um, but we also need to just learn to support people, women to women and, and men to women and vice versa. So, and, you know, coming back to the whole, like, how do you hunt with mascara thing? Here's the thing. I don't wear makeup every time I go hunting. That's the misconception is someone, a lot of guys, I think, think, oh, well, she won't go out unless she has makeup on. No, a lot of the times I'm hunting in the evenings and I have makeup on already. I'm not going to go take it off to go hunting. Like, it's just going to be on. And then if I kill something, I'm going to look good. And then when I go elk hunting, or it's not conducive to the environment. I mean, when I was hunting in Nebraska this past year, it was negative 11 one day. You think I'll put makeup on when my eyes are watering and my eyelashes are freezing shut and I have like, like snot sickles on my nose. No, (laughs) I didn't wear makeup that whole week, but if I want to, I'm going to go put it on. Or if it's, a time when I'm just like, you know, I need to feel pretty today, but I'm also going hunting today. Like, I don't feel like I have to compromise, you know, like it's just kind of whatever I want to do. And it's never once hindered me Mm -hmm. ever, you know? So, and, and here's another thing that a lot of guys don't know is before the whole Instagram thing, before I was a freelance makeup artist, makeup to me is another passion, which I understand isn't, logical to some guys is mine like how is makeup a passion but there is an artistry to it to an extent you they you don't even understand the amount of talent that goes into um some parts of makeup and I'm a very artistic person and I don't do a whole lot of painting or drawing like I used to so honestly makeup is an artistic outlet for me and so I don't feel like I should have to compromise for, from like one passion to the other if they can mix, you mm-hmm. know, it just, it makes it all happier for me if I can mm-hmm. do everything together. And it definitely is an art because I don't have that. <laughs> I don't have that ability. So, you know, I'm like a, some foundation and a mascara kind of person. I'm like, woohoo, look, I look like I'm alive, you know, but, um, you know, I think another aspect that's, wildly important to just kind of touch on and actually over this last weekend Stephen and I were at the Portland Sportsman Show um, here in Oregon and we run the Maven Optics booth and I'm sitting there and I'm talking to this couple that comes up and and it's a husband and wife they're probably in their late 20s maybe early 30s she's pushing a stroller and he's looking through some binoculars and I start engaging with her after answering a few of his questions and I I say to her like, Hey, do you listen to podcasts or do you, you know, hunt or whatever? And she's like, yeah, I do. And was telling her a little bit more about the podcast and her husband. And I hope that they're listening to this because I just want to say, I want to give her a virtual high five and just say, keep doing your thing. But he stops what he's doing and he goes, Oh yeah, you hunt. Well, do you ever pack out your own animals? And do you ever do this? And do you ever do that? And do you ever, and she's like, I buy my tag and I shoot my animals and I go with you. And he just like belittled her so much. And I just want to say, you don't have to hang your own tree stands and you don't have to sight in your own gun. You don't even have to know how to mount your own sight on a gun. You don't have to pack your entire animal out or know how to field dress something to be a hunter and to be a participant 
in this way of life. You can have support. You can have a husband that wants to help you out. And that's okay. You can still be in this club, right? I'm so glad you just said that. Oh my gosh. That that just gave me chills because I feel sometimes it gets a little discouraging because there are some girls who get so diehard. And I think it's because they're so defensive about trying to be the great white hunter female that no one can hate on. And they, they honestly get nasty towards other girls and they're like, well, I hang my own things. Why don't you, or I do this. Why don't you do that that way? And it defeats the purpose and it just divides everybody. And I will say this, do I hang my own tree stands by myself? No, me and Jonathan go do it all together. He never goes and does it without me. I always go and help. I'm always there to get him what he needs. And I, it's teamwork. And that's how I enjoy it. I don't want to just go be miserable in the heat doing it by myself for the sake of it. It's enjoyable for me to do it with the one that I love. And we just get it done quicker. And we go and have fun. And we do that. We go check trail cameras together. And I'm not saying I always go hunting with him. I hunt by myself a lot of the time or I go turkey hunting by myself or I call in his bird for him, but for he has never once belittled me or made me feel like I wasn't as much of a hunter than he was because he does things for me. He does those things for me because he loves me. And I think that what that story just told me makes me want to go smack that guy. Yeah, it really does. And it's, you know, it's very insightful for us to remember, like, you don't have to portray that you can do something because, and you don't have to stand beside somebody and judge what they're doing against what you're doing. Because unless you know somebody through and through, maybe they don't hang their own stands, or maybe they don't know how to call in their own elk, or maybe they don't know how to field dress something or bone something out. Like, it's okay. Like, man or woman, it's okay if you don't know those things. And it doesn't make you any more or less... Uh, you know, acceptable to be a part of this or to claim that you're a hunter or to, yeah. to be proud of that if you don't know all those things. Like, that's great. That's how we continue to invest in ourselves and stay passionate about things is to is yeah. to continue to learn, you know? And, you know, I posted something the other day. I said, you know, daddies, let your little girls wear pink camo. Boyfriends, let your girlfriends go hunting with you. Don't let it be just your guy time because, honestly – just be grateful they want to go be with you and be grateful that they want to take part in your passion and make it their own. You know, me and Jonathan met and we were both hunters, but there's a lot of times that guys get there and I'm sure there's times where girls get their, um, got their boyfriends and husbands into it. But a lot of the times it's the husbands and boyfriends who are getting their girlfriends into it. And if she's wanting to go do it and be out there with you and learn, why would you belittle her and why would you, you know, make her feel inferior for wanting to do that with you? That's just boggling to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Bottom line is it's okay to not know and it's okay to learn yeah. a part of the process. And if you never hang your own stand, that's fine. If you never learn how to use a diaphragm call, you're okay. You're still here. You're with yeah. us. So surround yourself with people who will support that and always stay authentic sure. to what you're doing and, the, the journey is long and it's super fun. So, you know what I will say though, I am appreciating so much the companies who are going above and beyond in making products that are more women friendly. I, at ATA this year, I saw multiple products and it makes me feel so happy that the industry is evolving into accepting women as equal hunters and making things to where the average woman who isn't like, you know, 
I, I, you and Sarah Bomar and all y'all are all so muscly and stuff and you're all just like so capable, but there's some girls who just don't have the upper body strength and they can't pull more than 35 pounds of their bow or, you know, whatever. And it's making me so happy that there's tree stands coming out. There's guns coming out. There's things that are literally being tailored to women to where they can be self-sufficient and mm-hmm. they can do that mm-hmm. because I think for a long time, everything has just been so made towards the male population that it's so hard and it's discouraging to even use the products because it hasn't been made kind of female friendly. Yeah, definitely. And I was saying too the other day, Katie, that it's not that in all these areas we have to have something specific for women, but it sure does feel damn good to have the support. It does. Like I... Uh, there's a couple of new tree stands that I'm getting this year that have, um, you know, pieces to it that make it easier to walk it up a tree by yourself. Mm-hmm. Like they've, they've put more technology into it to where if you want to be a self-sufficient woman and you can't get a two man stand or a one man stand up by yourself, they are going to great lengths to making it to where you can, which is just incredible to me. I think it's amazing. Super cool. Maybe we can uh, put together some of those resources and link it into the show notes so that we can share that with other women who may be looking yeah, for those things. We should do that. Awesome. Well, I could continue to talk about this all day long, but we are going to wrap it up for today. Thank you so much for jumping on with me. Where can people reach out and stay in contact with you? Um, so I, I actually put a thing on my story of the day. I'm trying to be better about DMs and answering a certain amount of day. I try not to be on my phone all the time, but I'm trying to be a lot more vocal in my DMs. So you can message me on Instagram at Katie Van Slyke. Um, or follow me on Facebook at Katie Van Slyke 96 or Twitter at Katie Van Slyke. So um, I'm pretty active on all of those platforms. Sounds wonderful. Thanks again for jumping on. I really appreciate the conversation. Thank you for having me. Well, ladies, that does it for this show for today. I hope that you found some inspiration, some good advice, and definitely some encouragement to take with you on the rest of your week. I'm already looking forward to coming back next week and giving you some more insight, some inspiration, and some tips on how to navigate your best life. Please be sure to hit the subscribe button and leave a review. Your feedback is so important to me. I would love to know the questions that you have, any topics or ideas, and your feedback. You are so valuable to me, and I really appreciate you taking the time to leave the review and subscribe to the show. See you next week on Her Inspired Journey.